here. I'm not going to present the ministry this morning, but the Master's Craftsman Ministry is a ministry that takes teams of volunteers, people just like you. Uh, you're thinking, uh, hey, listen, I'm not a construction guy. You don't have to be. All you have to be is willing. Uh, the Lord can't do anything with you if you're not willing. You don't have to be a master of anything. You just have to be willing. And we take the mama bears, the baby bears, and the papa bears. We want this to be a family affair because, let's face it, you can tell your kids all day long to grow up and serve the Lord, and if they never see you doing anything, it's just words. And so we want, when we take these teams of volunteers all over the world, like you said, we've done projects on five of the seven continents. Um, the only two are Antarctica and Asia. Those are the only two continents that we haven't done projects. So uh, the Lord has really allowed us to travel around a lot. How many of you remember when you used to send in, you'd save box tops and send them in and get a prize? How many? Okay. I'm going to do something like that. You know, I, we've got a history with your church. I'm going to do something like that this morning. Uh, back on our table back there, there's prayer cards. These are in the shape of a Bible marker. And you're going to, when you do your daily Bible reading that you're all doing, right? Well, that wasn't too bad. You're all doing your daily Bible reading, right? Amen. Amen. All right. You're going to open up your Bible because you'll have one of these fancy prayer cards and you're going to see my face and go, yeah, that guy needs prayer. Okay? <laughs> now, you can also get one and put it on your refrigerator. Uh, you know, some people put the prayer cards on the refrigerator. I want you to put mine wherever you go the most. If you go in your refrigerator more than you go in your Bible, but better yet, get one and put for each place. Put one in each. Then there's a brochure out there that tells you a little bit about our ministry, how you, why you should go on a trip, what you need to do to go on a trip, those type of things. Maybe there was somebody that you can think of that wasn't here today that would be interested in a ministry like this. Take a couple of them, you know, pass them out, give them to them. And then there's our newsletter. It's called The Master's Plan. That's out there as well. This is the newsletter that you can sign up for. There's a sign-up sheet. You can shoot it with your smartphone if you're technically inclined or there's a sign-up sheet to get it via email or postal service, either way. But this tells you where we're going, what we're doing, and what it costs, what, what it takes. You know, let's face it, some people's idea of camping is having a mint on the pillow. Others are more willing to go to Papua New Guinea and eat bugs for breakfast and sleep on a bamboo mat. But you'll know by reading the newsletter what type of a trip it is that we're going on. Now, for today only, for the first 20 minutes after the service, if you come to me, and you collect all three. You see how that is? You collect all three. For the first 20, I can't do this all the time because, you know, hey, I'm a missionary, but if you collect all three and you come and show me that you've got them for the first 20 minutes after the service is over, I will give you absolutely nothing. <laughs> but at least you'll know what's going on in our, in our ministry and how to effectively pray for us when we go. You know, so anyway, I had you there, didn't I? So, you don't want to hear me blabber. You came here to hear from the Word of God. So let's get into the... We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah today. And I know what you're thinking. Nehemiah, obviously, this is a, a great, great book in the Bible for a construction ministry. Let's face it. They're rebuilding the walls of, Jer of Jericho. Um, uh, Jerusalem, I'm sorry. I'm off to a wrong start here already. Jerusalem, they're rebuilding the walls and... You know, it just lends itself to a builder guy like me. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into this. And we're, I'm sure you're going to be able to get something out of this. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you now for this day that you've given us. Lord, we, we praise you for your uh, willingness to come here, Lord, and save our souls. 
Lord, we had a debt that we couldn't pay, but Lord, you came and did the work for us. Lord, you said on the cross that it is finished and it was complete. And Lord, you rose again and conquered death. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, if there's one here today who has not accepted you as their personal Savior, Lord, we pray that they would get that taken care of, Lord. There's no more important decision that they could do than getting themselves taken care of for eternity by accepting you as, your pers as their personal Savior. Lord, I thank you now for this portion of Scripture, Lord, that you've given us that we can learn from. Lord, I pray that you would take away all distractions. Lord, bind Satan. He has no part of anything that's going on here. Lord, that you would just allow us to learn from your word. Open our hearts and our minds. Put away all distractions. I ask you now to take my lips. Make them yours. Lord, let this, these words be yours and not mine. Thank you again for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start out in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And we're going to look at verse 3. And it says there, and they said unto me, The remnant that are left in the captivity of their in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, folks, Nehemiah has been given the task of rebuilding the walls. And he's contemplating, he's pondering upon how did we get there? And he's remembering what it used to be. And folks, you know, I know that this was written for a specific people at a specific time. But I think we can always glean from Scripture things that fit today. And if you will, just bear with me today because we're going to see some similarities between our country and where we're at and where the children of Israel were at at this time. And this is not going to be a political message. That's not what I'm, I'm after. But the truth is, there are some things that run parallel in this message. And so let's, let's just look at Nehemiah. Who is Nehemiah? If you were going to build something you would want some qualifications, wouldn't you? You would want the contractor that you're going to hire, if you were going to build a house, you'd want to know that the guy has built a house before. You don't want to get a guy who's never done anything. In fact, you certainly wouldn't want a guy who's going to say, well, I've never really held a skill saw before. That's not the guy you want to build your house, is it? So what qualifies Nehemiah as a good builder? Well, what was he? He was the cupbearer. For the king. Does that sound like good qualifications for a builder? What was a cupbearer? A cupbearer was simply someone who, when the king was going to have a meal, or he was going to have a snack, or he wanted something to drink, this was the guy that basically was the canary. The cupbearer would take a taste and make sure it wasn't poisoned. And if he dropped over dead, the king didn't drink it. That's his qualifications to be the builder. You see, folks, a lot of times God uses people who don't have the qualifications to do what he wants them to do. Now, when I look at myself and my situation, yes, I had a construction background for a construction ministry. In fact, that tripped me up for a while. Because when God actually did call me to do a ministry, 
I wasn't sure if it was actually God telling me to start a construction ministry or just me thinking, well, what else would I do? Because I had a construction background. You see, I might, my dad was a home builder, so I was on the job site from the time I was able to walk. But Nehemiah here, he doesn't have the qualifications for that. He's not had a lifetime of being a builder. And I think God wants us to rely on him. So many times he asks us to do something we're not comfortable with. And so Nehemiah here, he says, when I heard about the distress that we were in, I wept. And folks, I can't help but when I look at the United States of America and what we were founded on, and our biblical foundation that we have, I don't care what anybody says. You cannot go to Washington, D.C. and see the monuments. You can't read the Declaration of Independence. You can't read the Bill of Rights. You can't read any of that without seeing God's hand all over that. We had a biblical foundation. That's why God has blessed this country. And as we go away from that, as we get further and further away from that, it's no wonder that we're going to see problems arise. It says here in verse 7, how did we get here? We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept, thy, kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. You see, folks, we threw God out of the courtrooms. We threw God out of the classrooms. We're aborting babies at an astronomical amount per day. You cannot thumb your nose at God and expect him to continue to bless our country. And the children of Israel did the same thing, and that's why they were in captivity. That's why they were taken over. That's why they wandered in the wilderness. It was always the sin. The sin. And the truth is, that's what's eating at our country, is the sin. Now, if this was the end of the story, it would be pretty bleak, wouldn't it? But praise God, there's always a verse 9. And it says, but, and that's a big but. I like this big but. <laughs> but, if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, Though there were of your, of there, <clears throat> excuse me, though there were cast out among, unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. You see, folks, what it says there is, I don't care what you've done in the past. If you'll turn from it, I'll forgive you. And folks, if you're here today and you're thinking, you know, preacher, I have messed up my life so badly. There is no way God could ever forgive me. That's a lie of the devil. Right. right here it says, but if you'll turn. You can't get saved unless you decide to get saved. Christ has already done the work. He said it's finished. If you'll turn and say, Lord, I'm not going that way anymore. I'm only going to trust in you. He'll save you. Look at the thief on the cross. Did he have to get down from the cross and go get baptized? Nope. All he said is, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Is that some kind of a great prayer? 
I mean, did, was he an eloquent man? No, this guy was just a thief. And yet, Jesus knew his heart. You see, God looks at the inside, not the outside. We look at what we can see. You see this guy up here all handsome because his wife picked out his clothes for him. <laughs> God's looking at the heart on the inside. And if you'll turn and say, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. I love you and I realize I have no hope but in, except in you. And accepting you as my personal Savior, that's what he's looking for. And that's what that thief on that cross did at that moment. And that's how come he got saved. So, it, God always gives us a verse number 9 where he says, but if you'll turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, I'll put you on the right track. Now let's turn over to chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 11. So now Nehemiah, he's been given the task of rebuilding the walls. And he does what's called a survey trip. And any time that I'm doing a project for the Master's Craftsman Ministry, I always do a survey trip. I won't build a church house, a dog house, or an outhouse unless I do a survey trip. I've got to know, first of all, is the guy flying the same flag as us? The last thing I want to do is get there and find out that they're not worshiping the God that we worship. I want to make sure that they have the Bible straight, that they're using the King James Bible. I want to make sure that the personalities, all of the things have to be in line because when I bring a team, we want these people to have the opportunity to grow spiritually while we're there. Yes, we are a construction ministry. The Master's Craftsman is a ministry that does construction, but we're more of a ministry that just happens to do construction. And so I always do a survey trip to make sure that our accommodations are going to be there. You know, it wouldn't be very comforting if we're flying over on an airplane overseas and one of the people that's going with me leans over and says, so brother, where are we staying tonight? And I say, well, I don't know. We're going to find out together. Would that instill confidence? No, no not at all. So you can know that if you go on a master's craftsman trip, I've been there. I've eaten the food. I've stayed where we're going to stay and everything's going to be set. Not to say Satan can't cause problems. But for the most part, we've done the due diligence during that survey trip. So that's what he's doing here. It says in verse 11, So I came to Jerusalem, and it was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, and neither told I any man of, my, of what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. And neither was there any beast with, with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Do you realize that is proof in the Bible that there are Chevy trucks in the Bible? If you remember right, a few years ago, they had the Tasmanian devil as the beast as their spokesperson, their, their, their cartoon character to represent Chevy. Now, we know it wasn't a Ford because it wasn't a Bronco or a Mustang. And we know that it wasn't a Dodge because the Dodge had his horns stuck in a thicket back with Abraham. So it had to be a Chevy. That's all it could be. But here he is. He's got his beast. And you'll notice he's not telling anybody what he's doing. It says there that he told no one what he was doing. Why do you think that was? Do you think he was prideful and said, I don't want anybody messing with my plan? No, I think it was because he didn't want any influence from anybody else. He wanted to hear what God had to say. He wanted to see what God wanted done. 
And I think that's important. When we have a decision to make, when we have a task that God's given us, the most important person we want to consult with is God. Now, there's other good godly men that we want to also consult, but this guy, Nehemiah, is looking to God to give him what he needs done. And so it says here in verse 13, And I went out by the night to the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went unto the gate of the fountain and the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up by, by night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I yet told the Jews, nor the priests, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. You see, folks, he's keeping a tight lip for a reason. He wants God to put it in his heart what needs to be done. Now verse 17, it says, Then I said unto them, Ye see the distress we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, up, come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more reproach. And then I told them, in verse 18, of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. You see, folks, when it came time to tell the people about what God was going to do, he said, this is what God's going to do. He didn't stand there and say, look at me, I'm the master's craftsman, I can build you a wall. He said, I told them of the hand of my God that was good upon me. And you'll also notice, he told them what the king's words were as well. You see, Nehemiah knew enough to know he was going to need materials. He was going to need laborers. He was going to need equipment to make this happen. And folks, I don't want to minimize prayer. But for some reason, we've got it in our heads that we're just going to sit down or kneel down and we're going to pray everything into existence. And I believe God can do miracles. There is no doubt in my mind. I've seen him. He's done a lot of things. that I, I, I could stand up here for the entire service and tell you about how he's given us the truck and how he's given us the equipment. I told your pastor, we, we were sharing dinner, and I said, everything with me is a story. I've got a story for everything, from my wristwatch to the briefcase. I mean, I don't care what it is, the skill saw in the truck. There's a story behind it on how God made provision for it. But the honest truth of it is, God gives us two hands to do something with, doesn't he? I mean, we can sit here and we can pray, Lord, send somebody to tell my neighbor man. Lord, he needs the Lord. He needs you. Send somebody. Do you ever think he might be trying to send you? So Nehemiah went to the king and he told him what needed to be going on. He told him what he needed, and the king grants him the materials. He gives him the stuff that he needs to do this. You see, Nehemiah, yes, he's relying on God, but he's also using the brain that he gave him. And so Nehemiah tells the people, and what happens? And they said, let Nehemiah rise up and build. Is that what it says in your Bible there? Oh, no, it says, let the pastor rise up and build. 
or the deacons. No, it says, let us. Let us rise up and build. Who is us? In the Greek and Hebrew, that is us. Let's face it. And you know, we get excited about the verses that say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, don't we? Why? Because that's us. Whosoever is us. But when we say, let us rise up and build, that means there's work, doesn't it? That means we're going to have to do something. And it says here, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. What does that mean? Well, obviously, they're going to be building a wall. So they all went out and got an Anytime Fitness membership because they got to pump some iron because they're going to be lifting cement block and all. Is that what that means? No, no, I don't think so. I think they strengthen their hands in ways like, okay, we know that there's going to be a struggle. We know anytime we do something for God, there's going to be trouble. So we need to strengthen our hands. And I think what they did is they went home and they looked in their video cabinet and their, their record cabinet. Oh, records, I'm sorry. You, you young folks would not even know what a record is. Their music files or their, their magazine rack. And they said, you know, there's some things that maybe shouldn't be there. And they started to realize that maybe their prayer life wasn't where it should be. Maybe they realized they didn't even know the Lord. But the point is, is that they strengthened themselves for the good work that they were going to have to do. The hard work that they were going to have to do. And folks, anytime you're going to do something for God, you can mark it down that there's a verse 19. As soon as you, do so, you decide, I'm going to do something for God, there's some men that show up. Verse 19, it says, but. Now that but isn't so good. But when Sanballat, we're going to call him for today's purposes Sandy, the Herodonite, and Tobiah, we're going to call him for today's purposes Toby, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing you do? Will you rebel against the king? Then I answered them and said, I, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us, therefore we, will, we as servants will arise and build. You see, folks, when you decide you're going to do something for God, you can count on it. Sandy and Toby are going to show up. It's going to cost you. That's the other thing that during that strengthening of the hands, those people realized, this is going to cost me something. When you get saved, there's a good chance it's going to cost you some friends. When you decide you're going to serve the Lord with your life, and you say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, however you want to plow my garden, wherever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, I can guarantee you it's going to cost you something. Now, when you get saved, Satan's going to be right there. And he's going to try to convince you that that's not real. Why? Because you just flipped sides on him. You were one of his. You were on his team just a few minutes ago. And now you got saved, and he's a defeated foe at that point, isn't he? He no longer is able to really dictate what happens to you for eternity. And at that point, you can trust in Christ and he can no longer 
influence you in the way that he was. You're now bought with a price. You're now Jesus Christ. He can't change the fact that you're saved. But what's he going to try to do? He's going to try to shut you up. Because the last thing he wants is for you to tell somebody. Because then they'll leave him. And he'll lose some more team members. So all he can do is try to either shut you up or discredit you. And it's up to you how much ground you're going to give him. Because if you still want to hang with the guys that you hung with and do the things that you used to do, then he's won the battle, hasn't he? Because now you're not going to be able to be an influence. But if you decide, I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to turn, like we saw, talked about earlier, that first but, if you'll turn, he'll, he'll bless you. And so Nehemiah here, it's really important to see something how he handles Sandy and Toby. Does he pick a fight with them? Does he say, oh, I'm going to argue with you guys? No. Nehemiah just says, well, you know, they're picking a fight with God. This isn't really my fight. And he just says, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. You see, Nehemiah doesn't get sidetracked by Sandy and Toby. He knows what the goal is. He knows what the purpose is. And he just keeps his eyes on the prize. How many times do we get distracted because of something Satan throws at us when we're trying to do something that God wants us to do? We allow Sandy and Toby to distract us. Let's turn over to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sandy heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now Toby the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. <laughs> now, folks, I'm telling you right, right here, as a construction guy, if somebody told me that the walls that I was building could be knocked down by a fox, I'm just saying, my, I'd be rolling up my sleeves. I'd be ready to pick a fight. You know, I, I, I struggle with pride. I know none of you here do. But let's face it. If I'm doing something like this, I take pride in my work. And when somebody starts really picking on it like that, it would, it, those would be fighting words to me. But you see, Nehemiah, that's, that's not what he's about. What is, how does he handle it? Verse 4, Hear, O God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. You see, folks, Nehemiah realizes that they're not... They're not Sandy and Toby are not really after them. They're in opposition of what God's trying to do. And they're doing everything that they can do just to hamper and hinder. There was a time in my life where in our little town in Amro, where I live, there was a local tavern that wanted to have some uh, entertainment that was, never should have been even thought of in our little town or anywhere for that matter. During deer hunting season, they wanted to have 
inappropriate ladies. You, you get the picture. And so the city council was having hearing on whether or not they should allow this. And I went to the city council meeting and I shared a few Bible verses. Can I tell you that didn't go over so well? And it earned me a sign out on the main street in our town with my name on it. I took pictures in front of it. I kind of thought it was kind of a compliment, actually, because they were really upset about it. And I was on the fire department at that time, and some of the men who were on the fire department with me were there in promoting this. In fact, one of the men that owned the place was on the fire department. And so, can I just say, that made kind of a little bit of a rift between us. And I realized at that point that those guys were picking a fight with God. And I can tell you from my experience that it did not turn out well for them. That man who owned the tavern, from that point on, his businesses, everything that he had was a failure. God just took him right down. In fact, that tavern burnt to the ground. And no, I did not set it. <laughs> the other fellow who owned it, his businesses, there, were, there was two of them together that owned it, his businesses failed as well. But there was one man who, on the fire department, stood up and said, this is ridiculous. What he's saying makes no sense. We can have this kind of entertainment. It doesn't hurt a thing. That man's wife got up and said, there is no problem with that. If my husband wants to see that, it's no problem. Well, we're celebrating 36 years of marriage. Can I say they did not make it that long? They were divorced shortly after. I guess it made a difference. That same man who said that it didn't matter was in a bulldozer using a, uh, he was bulldozing ground to clear for his farm, and this stick freak accident, a stick came through the cab window of that bulldozer and caught him in the leg and cut the, uh, the artery in his leg and he bled out and died. I'd witnessed to him several times. I can't say for sure, but I'm just guessing by everything that I know. Maybe he accepted Christ at the last moment. I pray that he did. But my, my point is, folks, don't get sucked into fighting with these people. Sandy and Toby are going to do what Sandy and Toby do. Keep your eye on the prize. Winning folks to the Lord. Being faithful to God. Serving Him with your talents. Because it's not worth being sucked into the battle that's really not yours. That's God's fight. Because if you look a little bit down further, it says here, in verse 14, and I looked up and and, and I looked and rose up and I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people be not ye afraid of them remember the Lord which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses you see folks the Lord is more than capable of fighting the fight he will fight for us you look at through the Bible and you see where God intervened for people, for his people, all through the Bible. If they were just faithful and did what he asked them to do. In verse 16, And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work 
And the other half of them held both the, or I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead of myself. I'm way ahead of myself here. This is God's fight. But it says here, in verse, let's jump back to verse uh, number, right at the end of number four. It says, Hear our God, who we despise, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And then it says in verse six, Here's kind of what I really want to get to. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. It says the people had a mind to work. Folks, here again. Sandy and Toby can buff it, they can argue, they can squawk. But if the people have a mind to work, it's amazing what can get done. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing is going to change in this country. You know, we Baptists, we're great at standing at pulpits like this. And preachers have been doing it, and they've been telling us what's going wrong for years. And they've been doing a good job of pointing out what's going wrong. And the truth is, I bet every one of you sitting there today can tell us and what's going wrong with our country, can't we? But where the problem is, is do we do anything about it? Just talking about it, just defining what the problem is, doesn't get it done. We've all got to get a mind to work. We've got to get a mind to tell the guy across the workbench from us about Jesus Christ. Our neighbors should know that if they want to rob our house, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesdays would be a great time because we're never there. Why? Because we're at church. And they should know that. And if they don't know that, then there's a problem. We haven't done our job, have we? And so they have a mind to work, and that's why the walls started to rise. And that's why Sandy and Toby then move into a more serious threat pattern. In verse 7 it says, But it came to pass, when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to be stopped because the people had a mind to work, they were very wroth. And conspired all of them to come together and fight. You see, it's no longer just words now. Now they're conspiring to actually physically fight with the children of Israel against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. You see, folks, Nehemiah knew that God could protect them, didn't he? He knew 100% that God would take care of them but he still set a watch. He still did the work. He made sure that the people were safe. He was praying, he was working, and he was trusting. All three of those things together were unstoppable. And so it says here, verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Now we're going to go over to verse number 16. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the habergans and the rulers were behind the house of Jerusalem. 
or of, of Judah, excuse me. And I'm sorry, folks, I'm getting older, and I'm telling you, i got to get some stronger glasses. <laughs> this is bad. I'm, I'm usually not struggling to read so much, but boy, these glasses are just too weak. Um, <clears throat> so, and they that which build the wall, and they that bear the burdens with those that laid it, every one with their, one of their, his hands wrought on the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so, built, so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So up until this point, they had a trowel in their hand. And they could lay brick pretty efficiently, can't you? When you just got a trowel, you can lay brick, you can pick up the bricks with the other hand, and you can just lay bricks like crazy. But now, they've got to have a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And what you've done now is you've made not an efficient bricklayer and not an effective fighter. Because you, you're, you're trying to do two things at once. Folks, up until this point, and even today, this, we can lay bricks. We can preach this, no problem. There is nobody coming through the back door here and hauling us all to jail, is there? Because we're preaching the gospel. But folks, if we don't get a mind to work, if we as Christians don't tell others, I am sorry, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, all of those idiots do not have the answers for what's going on with our problems in this country. They're just a symptom of the true problem. The true problem is sin and our unwillingness to correct it. So we can stand here and we can talk all we want to, but if we don't get busy and get a mind to work, we're going to end up where we're going to have to have a sword in one hand to be able to use this sword. We're going to have to use an actual sword to fight to be able to preach the gospel. And I never thought I'd see the day. I don't know about you, but I never thought I'd see where the, a day where the government came and said, you can't have church today. But we've been there, haven't we? And I can tell you, I've been in places where they're meeting in fear. I personally have been in places where they're meeting in fear of the authorities coming and taking them to jail just for preaching the gospel. I've stood in the Kremlin of Russia. And now I can't run for public office because I've obviously colluded with the Russians. But let's face it, if we don't get busy, we're going to be in those positions. I've talked with the man who said his dad, he remembers when the communists took over. And he was an older man. I mean, this guy was older than dirt when I was talking to him. And he said, I remember when my parents owned a store. And the, the Russian soldiers came in and said, this is now property of the state. And he said, no, I can prove this. Is, I have papers. I have papers. I can prove this is my store. I, I own the store. And they said, no, you don't understand. You don't own anything. This is now property of the state. And he argued with them a little more. And they took him by the arms, drug him out in the street, knelt him down in front of all of the rest of the shopkeepers, and they shot him in the head with a pistol. Guess what? Nobody on that street argued anymore. And folks... I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to do any of that. But what I'm saying is, we are at a point in our country that if we don't get a mind to work, if we don't build, if we don't repair those walls, 
Nobody's going to. We have the truth, don't we? We know how the book turns out. God's holding the gate open for somebody here. I believe that he's waiting for some people to get saved yet before he blows that trumpet. I keep looking at the clouds every day saying, Lord, those look like good clouds for you to come through today. Please come back today. But that's not his plan. He's holding it for somebody. And so these people had a mind to work. The wall got rebuilt. And Nehemiah had to set a guard so that when Satan attacked, his people were ready. Now why is this all so important? Verse number 19. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one far from another. Now, folks, as I look through this auditorium, I see your missionaries that you support here. And the work that you're doing here is great and large, isn't it? You're reaching the world for Jesus Christ. And if this church doesn't have a mind to work, if the people in this church don't promote the gospel, if you don't tell others about Jesus Christ, if you don't keep inviting visitors, if this church doesn't continue to grow, let's face it, some of you are going to die off. You said there was a funeral that's going to be happening for one of your people. If we just sit here and we hunker down in our bunker waiting for the rapture to happen, this church will die off. And all those missionaries will be left out on the wall, won't they? Because there's going to be nobody to support them. And even more than that, just narrow it down. You come into your state here, the state of New York. There's a few lost people here. Narrow it down into your town, Auburn. There's a few lost people here. Who's going to reach them? Now, your pastor is a great guy. I've talked with him. We've talked a lot. We, we, we go back quite a ways. And I believe he's trying to reach as many people as he can. But what's the odds that he's going to meet the guy that works across the workbench from you? Or the little lady, old lady that lives across the street from you that bakes an apple pie for you once in a while and gives you a Christmas card? Unless you show him the gospel of Jesus Christ, the odds are that he'll never meet him. It's going to take all of us. Now, I'm not one of these people who says, well, it's too late. It's all over. I'm very disappointed in what we see. And I wish that I could take every one of you to the places that I've been. Because if you would see the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union countries, if you would see the third world countries that I've been in, and you'd see how communism and the way it works and what it does to the people, I wish that I could show each and every one of you and you would understand. But folks, we're almost there. And the real reason for communism is to take away Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived. It's not a political movement. It's a God-hating religion. And folks, we're lining up for that. And if we don't get busy... If each one of us doesn't get a mind to work, we're, we're headed in the wrong direction. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe as the pianist starts to play today, 
First and foremost, maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I don't want to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to even leave your chair. I don't, I don't know how your church normally does this, but is there somebody here today that if you were to die today and you were standing before God and He said, why should I let you into my heaven? If you don't have an answer, if you say, you know, preacher, honestly, I don't know. With no one looking around, heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand? Would you be honest enough to say, you know, preacher, I don't know if I was to die today, if I'd go to heaven. Christians, how about you? Do you have a mind to work? Folks, I know this was kind of a hard message today. A hard challenge. And there's a hard hat out on my display table, and I hope you didn't have to go out and get it. But if there is something that the Lord was knocking on your heart's door that was kind of hard for you today, I'm sorry, but Lord, that's, that's the Lord speaking. As the piano or as the organist starts to play this, this morning, is it time for you to do some business with God? Maybe the Lord's been asking you to do something for Him. And you've been trying to do it yourself. Maybe there's a face that comes to your mind right now of someone that you know you're supposed to witness to. As you stand to your feet, would you please... Come to this altar. Do some business with God. If the Lord's so leading you this morning, you come to this altar. You know, you can sit there and, or stand there in, in the pew, but there's nothing like coming to the altar here at this front of this church and saying, Lord, I mean it. Lord, I want to serve you with my life. Maybe there's an uncle or an aunt or a best friend that you've been meaning to witness to, but you just never come up with the way to do it. Would you come to this altar and ask the Lord to give you that, uh, that courage to do that? Do we have a mind to work, Pastor, if you'd come?